Hey folks, welcome to CTF Radio. I'm Adam D, and I have with me, as always, Zardis. Zardis, you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. And we have a very special episode today. We're digging into our own past. We're trying to uh, pierce the veil behind the uh, secret formation of the hacking team that we're a part of. So what are we going to be talking about today, Jan? We're going to be talking about shellfish. Uh, the oldest, and I often say coolest, uh, that was the, the tagline, the oldest and coolest hacking team in the world. Because um, everybody knows they, old and cool are things that go well together. That's exactly, what people say. That's, that's I try to uh, convey this to my students. And you're not even wearing a shellfish shirt, man. So I feel like you well, I, are already I, failing. Damn. I, maybe I should, are you wearing a shellfish shirt? Of course. Oh, God damn it. All right. Hold on. No, no, no. no. I'm, we're definitely not waiting for you to put on a new shirt. Oh, God. All right. Well, Jan is being an idiot. And is yes, we are. Go. Luckily, he's not changing on camera. I feel like that's something he'd do. While we wait for him to do that, I will welcome in our guests. So we have three of the... Is it safe to say founding members of Shellfish? Yeah, so we have I, I yeah. yeah, we have Giovanni Vigna, Chris Krugel, and Davide Balzorati. Uh, do you all want to introduce yourselves and kind of your um, how you got started into CTFs? Giovanni, do you want to start with you since you're the... Davide. Start with you oh, I was, not, okay, I, was say, I was volunteering Davide right there. <laughs> um, so I started yeah. CTFs, uh, I would say around... Um, 1998, 1999. They had computers back then? Yeah, they, they, were, they, were very, they were made of wood, <laughs> so they were different, but uh, they were fun. So I, I, I heard about this concept, um, and, and then I started at UCSB as a professor. Uh, I'm a professor of computer science at UCSB. I started in 2000, and as part of the class, I wanted to create some similar experience and so my very super first ctf that i organized um and i didn't at that time i did not uh if i remember correctly actively participated in any i would all i was only reading about it and i was like that's a great concept you know people get to hack into each other and so for the first time it was uh, half of my class my graduate class uh half was attacking half was defending there was no virtualization, so there was there were like real computer, and there were you know our concept of reinstalling the image was a DD of uh, the image <laughs> on the hard disk. That was that's how you restore the original thing, and and since then you know I've, I I I saw how fun it was for me, for how fun it was for the students, and how useful it was in order to so foster education, and so it it started. Um, sort of a, a long series of organizing this as part of my class until I think two, 2003 when we went across universities and involved more than just UCSB. And then I think, I mean, Chris, you were there in 2003 or 2004? Yeah, the first time I think I came to UCSB was actually 2001 as a, as a visiting graduate student. And then I came back in 2000. Right. Right. Two and three for a postdoc. But yeah, so it was around that time. Honestly, I don't exactly remember. But I think, yeah, your class already had, had was playing CTF. And um, I don't think Shellfish was formed at that time as sort of the name no. Shellfish. First time we participated to yeah. DEFCON CTF was with you and Davide. It was the three of us plus, I think, a few others, maybe Frederick and 
yeah. other people, and we were enemy combatants <laughs> because yeah. at that time <laughs> it was, I think, the war in Iraq, and we were like, we are the enemy combatants. There was a lot of enemy combatants talk, and yeah. and we played that, and then the year after, in 2005, oh, no, in 2000, no, this was 2003. Then in 2004, we played, I think, our first shellfish. I think it was 2004, 2005, because I, I, I was there in 2004. 2004, we played the course for the first time. It was the first time that actually DEFCON had uh, online qualifications. And oh, we wow. registered and we were enemy combatants and we played with that name. And then we switched in 2005 with the, yeah, with the new name. That's good. Yeah, but I, I think like, you know, when we said, how did we get into CTF? I mean, for me, I think for many, it was uh, Giovanni, right? He's sort of like the, the spiritual uh, rector of this whole operation that who sort of basically had this, this passion, put it in the class, put it in the lab. And um, I think it's probably you know, the, the true root of all this activity that now spawned even two decades later. So, yeah, I had not, not heard of CTF the, before. The, the career is tenured. He doesn't give a shit. He's got it. It's great. It's great. So, Davide, was your first experience then with CTFs as a postdoc at UCSB? No, I was doing my okay. PhD, actually. So, in, okay. so in my case, a bit different because I was doing my PhD back then in software engineering. And uh, I knew absolutely nothing about security. But we had this kind of weird rule at the university uh, that basically asked PhD student to uh, spend some time, it was about typically three months, uh, working in a completely different field. So I was doing my research in software engineering, and uh, I went to UCSB basically to learn something about security. And then the three months became six, six became nine, and I never went back to software <laughs> engineering again. And uh, so for me, I basically got into security at the same time in which I got into CCS, uh, into CTS. Because uh, again, uh, you know, Giovanni had the, the competition during the class. I don't remember if it was already ICTF at the time or if it was still a local one, but yeah, I played that one, then I got hooked. And uh, the same time, uh, you know, more or less a few months after, I think, they announced the first uh, online qualification for DEFCON. We played the course and, you know, yeah. And then, uh, so I, I learned security at the same time in which I learned the CTFs, uh, you know, thing. So I guess the first year was quite useless. The first online calls, you said it was 2004, because that means I was already back yeah. in, in Vienna. And I sort of remember that I was playing something remotely. Playing remotely. No, indeed, I think uh, you are not in the picture. So I think you didn't play the calls. Probably you, probably you came for the finals, I guess. I no, no, I, I think I played the calls remotely because I have distinctively remembered that. Oh, um, yeah, maybe you play on the Yeah, because I, I distinctively remember there was this one challenge. It was uh, some, some kind of... Um, format string vulnerability. And at that time you couldn't, you know, solve things in parallel. It seemed one stage after the mm -hmm. other, right? It's like your first, the first and second and third. And that was sort of like the second or third challenge. And you guys were all going to bed, right? And, and um, I was, was doing it. And I think it took me like eight hours or something like that. And, and, you know, would probably take like someone who's used to do this five minutes today, right? But okay, it took me like solidly eight hours and, you know, you play around with the offsets and everything yeah. it was very painful. And then, <laughs> I finally solved it and then everybody else came online and, you know, I was like super proud. Yes, I, you know, advanced us one stage and then I could finally go to bed. <laughs> it was, a, I think, a, you know, a very, yeah, very great be, achievement. I, I mean, impressive that, uh, I mean, I had some notes and so there were actually 12 different levels in the, in the course. And uh, I think we got to level nine 
we had a local exploit. According to my notes, we had a local exploit that didn't work remotely. And, uh, and the, the team that won the, the, the cause, I think it was Immunix, uh, they got to level 10. So in 48 hours, with basically this sort of basic vulnerabilities, I mean, no ASLR, right. uh, no even right. stack canaries, nothing. I mean, the best team got basically 10 uh, <laughs> challenges. Well, that's, that's to me the thing that is completely mind-blowing. When I go back to those days, like in the early 2000s, the vulnerabilities were like this basic, super basic buffer overflow. And still, everybody was like, oh my God, this is so hard. I, I remember, you know, trying to do stuff that now people, you know, even if, if you teach it at a grad class, they look at you like, hey, I already did it in undergrad this time. I did Pico know, CTF in high school and I already did this. Can we move to rock gadgets, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I However, I mean, yeah, it's true. I, huh? It's absolutely true. But I mean, the tools also were very primitive, right? right. So, I mean, we right. did it. I mean, even IDA Pro didn't have a graphic interface at the time. So it means that you were working with something which was basically object dump plus plus. I mean, the, the... so much work with object dump. I remember me and Chris working with yeah. object dump yeah. so yeah, much. Yeah, and then and then I think that object dump ruined a whole generation of people that see the order, you know, the opposite way because they object dump source oh death, you know, oh and <laughs> and now it's I mean that's yeah source, I, I, yeah. But but speaking of how yeah, easy it was, I remember there was a DefCon. I think it was the actual DefCon CTF. It was a, I mean it was a simple beginner or an early challenge. But I remember I solved it, got first blood by basically piping Aleph one shell code just into the input and suddenly I had a shell. I thought like, what just happened here? It's like, yes, first blood. You know, I didn't do anything. It was absolutely it was absolutely basic at that point. That's, That's crazy. Awesome. And then actually so we have evidence now of how far the field has evolved, right? So for uh DEFCON uh was it twenty seven? CTF 20 yeah 27 quals we had uh speed run challenges where the goal was to do it as fast as possible and people would exploit a buffer overflow in five minutes or less like it's insane to see those solves come in incredibly quickly uh and then yeah contrast that to either when the field was first learning or when you personally were first learning how to do these things and it taking a really long time I think that a good parallel is if you look at video games and you think of the first person shooter of, you know, the, the late 90s, like I, I, now I'm going to like uh, uh, Doom of uh, Wolfenstein and all those things. Now when you play, it's like they are so boring, so slow. <laughs> and now, you know, every I, I see my kids are like, you know, guns akimbo, like doo -doo 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 -doo, destroying, uh, you know, hordes of zombies at a speed that was unimaginable at that time. And I think it's all about what is given to you as a practice and how you develop those skills. But it's it's really the, the, the change has been uh, substantial, I would say. I think the training is really important, right? So at the time there was no training, there was only the DEFCON CTF. So actually even these simple vulnerabilities, you, you basically never encounter something like this before, right? So now you're trained to, you know, all these sort of uh, simple things. At the time, you had to improvise because, hey, I mean, the, they were all new. And uh, yeah, I think it's training. I think it's training. It's, of course, I mean, 
many many more people are involved as well right if you broaden the base of the pyramid the the top will just get get higher and and better and and it i mean it is professional right mm -hmm. i mean there are people that that actually train every week that have their tools that have their setups that have access to the videos online and the tutorials i think it's just you know so much much more professional but you know i i when i started and of course i'm no longer <laughs> absolutely not competitive anymore right but but in the past you just show up and you know you start to relearn the key bindings of ida right it's like yeah how did this exactly work i don't exactly remember and you know the first half an hour is trying to remember how to navigate ida right and then you start to disassemble the first function right and then you start to step through and you know okay if you if you, if you do this today you don't you know don't do anything for the entire competition and you're just completely hopeless so the, the gap is actually widened mm -hmm. amazingly like you, you could be an amateur in the past and sort of still participate in, in these top competitions but yeah nowadays so that's a no brings me to a good question then chris so did you guys train at all like were there any other ways that you either trained or practiced for cts besides either creating challenges with ictf or through playing quals and finals I never did, but I, I'm sure Giovanni was hoping that everybody was training. I thought you were always pushing us for saying hey, there needs to be some training. Well, there were some of these uh, online war games, right, with challenges. Yeah. and Vortex. Uh, so. Yeah, so we were yeah. doing those, but I remember, I mean, there were, what, 30, 25, 30 levels or something like this, which we actually, you know, spend a lot of time to do, to solve those levels. But, yeah. you know, that's yeah. that's what about it, I mean. If you finish those, I mean, you consider yourself a master and, you know, there's nothing else to learn. I mean, you're ready. Sometimes I feel like I remember and probably Chris remembers too when, when we were doing, uh, I mean, when I was doing my early days of the PhD and I was working on mobile code and very weird stuff, you could actually read everything that has ever been written on that topic. You know, it was like, okay, I read it. That's all that there is on the internet on this topic. I can move on. Uh, of course, nowadays that's impossible. And at that time, it was like that. I mean, there were so few resources to learn about, you know, exploitation, security, and things like that. That um, uh, you could really finish everything that you had to do, and not, you know, and not having any other opportunity. But I want to say one thing. One thing that people don't know is that these kind of things were really uh, looked down mm -hmm. upon. Uh, I remember when I started saying we have to teach exploitation in 2000, there were some university in which professors were getting maybe not fired, but really getting reprimanded for teaching exploitation because it was considered bad. Of course, this now nobody would even think of, of that. But I remember people coming to me and say, oh, you're teaching the next generation of cyber criminals. And so this is another big change in the community. Probably a positive change, you would say. So, so it's not only that there <laughs> oh, yeah. wasn't a lot of training out there in terms of the vast, the total sum of knowledge. It's that you very quickly not just hit the limit of that, but the limit of public uh, will to allow this, basically, to allow you to explore. That, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, if we have to play CTFs underground, did it feel like... You're you're kind of hiding in the lab and just like, uh... no, I don't think it was that bad. But there was definitely a time when bad. you, if you had hacking tools on your computer, it was a problem, right? There were like people were saying, you know, whatever Wireshark was a hacking tool, and you know that I I don't know, 
would, would already partially bring you to that gray zone. And yeah, I, I remember like um, when we started, I mean, we, we, I don't think we actually organized the CTF, but we definitely started to teach when I went back to, to Austria, to Vienna, to Vienna, we, we had a security class and we taught, of course, also exploitation and everything. I always felt like it's great when Europe, so at least we don't have these problems. So I, I never felt like, you know, threatened or anything, but it was like, okay, you know, no, nobody's going to care here. So it's okay. <laughs> But also in, in, in sort of the German speaking area, you have a much longer tradition of, you know, with the Chaos Computer Club and all that hacktivism, you have a lot more acceptance of that thing. Yes, and, and, and a very strong uh, group of people who wanted to watch TV for free, right? Breaking <laughs> the uh, pay TV uh, receivers. That was, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks got into sort of computer security by, by breaking digital rights management. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, in Italy, in Italy it was it was weird because there were really no laws to uh, pursue cybercrime when I was a kid and I started getting interested in security. So I remember later talking to some law enforcement in Italy, and they knew there were these you know hackers that were breaking X twenty five networks and all sorts of things, and they would always try to get them for something else. Like they were like. You know, following them, hoping they would break the law in some other ways, because there was no law to actually prosecute these people. That's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. But uh, so you were interested in security before CTF. It sounds like. Yeah, I was. Yes. Yes. I yeah, basically, in internet security, um, yeah, came came through. I guess the studies, right? We all sort of started. Um, I guess I started in software engineering as well. And um... so, Chris, was it, what, what was your, your initial brush with security? Sorry, no, no, sorry if I take the most away, but now no, I, I am good. curious too. Since I never see Chris and we never hang out together. Uh, I think it was pretty much uh, like all of our starts, right? So we, we started in a software engineering uh, group and, um, you know, Mehdi, my advisor at that point, had a, a couple of projects and one just happened to have something to do with security. It was a European Union project uh, that, you know, was, was building a distributed intrusion detection system. And he sort of let me choose. So I had the choice between that on distributed intrusion detection system or building a marketplace. Um, and that had, you know, nothing to do with security. And I actually chose the marketplace project first. But about, but like, no. after one week in, I thought, this is really boring stuff. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then I, I sort of switched. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a month. But very quickly switched over to uh, to the other project. And then, yeah, we were sort of starting to work. Uh, do you remember Tom, Thomas, uh, at the time? Yeah. My, my, exactly. So we... we Thomas and Tom. Exactly, yeah. So we did high school together and then also studying together. And then we were together in, in a PhD program and so we, we switched to, to intrusion detection and then started to yeah read 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 those papers and work on intrusion detection. Wow. He's now a big shot of some bank. He's at the bank, yeah. Austrian bank, Austrian National Bank. And then yeah they basically um, you know the connection was because my advisor knew Dick and then you know at one point Dick visited and then that's how I came to UCSB in the lab and, and that's where I encountered CTF. But yeah at that point I was already um, into my PhD on, on intrusion detection. Yeah, we're talking about Dick Kammerer, yeah. by the way, which is, which is even the root cause of the root cause of the root cause. Meaning that I came to Santa Barbara 
to work with uh, with the camera because I also was a software mm -hmm. engineer. Actually, uh, David, you, you had Carlo Gatesy as advisor, right? Correct. Yes. So you, I had Carlo Gatesy, mm -hmm. David had Carlo Gatesy in software engineering, and uh, Chris had uh, Medija Zayeri, and, and they were all in software engineering. And Dick was this person that was both mm -hmm. in software engineering and security. And we were all looking at him like, oh, this is our way into, you know, security eventually. And so we, we ended up, I ended up in Santa Barbara and then through connection, Chris came in and then David came in and this whole, you know, avalanche of, uh, of people happened. But Dick, Dick was really uh, the one who, you know, was the, the, the grandfather of Yeah, everything. he was, uh, if I remember correctly, he was the first hire of the computer science department at UCSB. Before that, everyone was basically in math, and then they formed a computer science department, and then Dick was the first hire of the computer science department. I think, I think his PhD is 1975, yeah. which means uh, I was, uh, you know, in first grade. Learning, learning basic. This is not a this is not a game you want to play, Giovanni. Like, the, the, the transitive property of making people feel old is not great. <laughs> yeah, some cool. of our viewers cool. are like, "Yeah, 1975. My grandfather was just born." <laughs> uh oh. oh. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So then, then how? So then, if we kind of focus back on uh, CTFs a bit, so how? So you mentioned it already a little bit, but how were the early like DefCon quals structured? So maybe you can give us a little bit more details or what you remember of how the uh, how quals were structured, because now we have kind of the Jeopardy style format and all that, and how did that change in the early days? So I remember, I remember an early version where you had directories with binaries and it was like when you compromise a binary you see the binary in the next directory because it was GUI, I said GUID um, and and there was that and after yeah, that was 2004 and 2005 yeah okay and, and then they went full jeopardy with a graphical web screen I think yeah uh, yeah but I do yeah. think that but I do think they had um flags very early on because there was this this famous story i don't know it was i think still school of root when they basically broke the flag the flags by recognizing that it was basically stage one two three just those strings hash as md5 <laughs> hash right and basically once they found that out there was this thing like after like two three hours they had solved everything right and suddenly, you know, I remember we were working and we just solved challenge one or two and suddenly school of root had everything and we said like how the hell did they do this? Like, how did they hack it so quickly? And the reason was they found out that, you know, the flags were just stage one, two, three, MD5 hashed. And then once you have that. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. We should uh, get Chris Eagle on at some point and have him confirm. Oh, yeah, you should. You should. He, he has probably crazy <laughs> stories. I remember I, one of my traumatic experiences with School of Root, I think it was the, the last death gun they played before they started organizing it um, and and they had they had found some kind of um, like Trojan so they could uh, break into somebody and put something that would get root and my I still to this day don't know exactly but they could get everything they, they had everything of everybody and at this point no they were playing 
uh, air guitar or whatever, guitar hero, during the competition, showing that they really didn't give anything. And they put this big projected red button on the wall. And then Chris went there and touched it. And they dumped all the flags that they had massed at this point. And they were close, a little above everybody. And they just went up so far that everybody say, everybody rage quit fundamentally. It was like, OK, the game is now over. And it was, it was one of those moments in CTF history that was pretty, pretty interesting. It's a bummer wow. that it happened before widespread. Uh, everyone had video cameras on their phones and stuff, right? Maybe they're... I know, I know. Yeah. There were no smartphones then. The iPhone came later. <laughs> 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 yeah, you have to be clear about that for you know the young younger viewers. <laughs> then what was finals like? So like your first, maybe you can talk about your first Shellfish's first DefCon finals experience. Like what was you know. What was the setup like? How was it going to Vegas and uh, playing in CTF? Yeah, that was very different. I think the first time we played was the you know with the with the other team name. Uh, I think they changed the year after, but the first year I still remember that you know the competition didn't stop for the night, so you had uh, I don't remember probably twenty four hours or something like this, but it was straight. So they were closing the uh, convention, so people were getting out, and you were locked in the room. <laughs> And then in the morning, they were coming back in and you were still there playing. And I remember some of the guys in our team that were sleeping under the table, you know, so basically the tablecloth was offering some sort of like, you know, a tent because, you know, there, there was no, no stop. That was, uh, that was quite different. And then, yeah, the, the first year was Windows, right? So the first year we played was Microsoft Windows. Yes, and do you know why they did this? It was because of Immunix. Initially, there were all yes. the, the Immunix was using yep. the CTF as yep. basically a marketing tool where they were showing that if they hardened Linux, then they would basically not get hacked. And um, and basically, they used this two or three times in a row, and then the organizers said, "Okay, screw this. We're just putting Windows there, so you could not use your your hardened patches." It was uh, it was kind of interesting. Yes. yes. And in fact, they lost. And in fact, you know, it's like, but I remember, I mean, it was crazy because we got there and we were not obviously expert. I think no one was expert in Windows. And at the time, of course, there was no internet like whatsoever, right? And uh, so they were giving you the, the image. I don't remember, probably a VMware image or something. Like this. So you had to run the image on your own uh, machine. And uh, we got the Windows image. I think there were two images or something like this. But the point was that, you know, you put the image and we didn't have the credentials to actually log in. And so everyone was like, you know, you're at the party. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. And there is no internet. So I remember some of the team, they were still offline after probably Alpha Day because, uh, yeah. They, they couldn't log in. Yes. Nope. And I, that was, I, I think I, I love that part, right? So you have to go there and improvise and there is no internet. So either you know it or you don't, right? You know, I, the year in which you had to reprogram the modem, like, you know. Oh, my God. Modem, I have this picture. I have this picture of you, Davide, on the modem like this, <laughs> listening to the sounds of the modem. I didn't do the, the programming. I think you know uh, Dan did that, but it was insane. Because uh, anyone knows how to reprogram the modem? Nope, nope. And then I think I remember that. And you know, completely. You know, you have no reference. You can open any web page. You just start typing. Like, uh, yeah, I think I know the AT <laughs> commands. And like, how do you know that? 
that's fun. That's insane. But it's you're like really a safe good. cracker. You're like listening to the modem as you like type in commands to see what. <laughs> Sounds right. And Davide, can I share my screen for a second? Or it's not what? podcast safe. But it, it's uh, 2003. So that was the first. Uh, and there is, of course, Chris. There is Davide. Uh, Vika, Dan Nermi, Will Robertson, uh, Frederick Valer, all those people there. Uh, were what color was first. Chris's hair? That's what I was going to say. You took it right out of my <laughs> mouth. I've been waiting that with that in my back pocket. Wait, Chris has, uh, uh, I don't know, wait. Um, Chris had the uh, full, um, he looks totally like um, Harry Potter, like full Harry Potter hairstyle. Awesome, he's the, the the cybersecurity wizard. Exactly, and we were bought with ponytails at the time. Yes, exactly. You guys had long hair. I think I was growing it yeah. at that time. <laughs> yeah, I think there were at least three people with ponytails: me, Dan, Nermi, and you, David. Okay, well, while you're trying to bring this up, I, I remember when you were saying. Um, like having the owning the entire infrastructure and sort of having root everywhere. That is actually my, my, my earliest memory of you, Jan, when, when you were joining, I think, us for some CTF thing. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really pay too much attention, right? Giovanni said, yeah, there's this other guy who wants to join. I was like, whatever, right? And then I was doing some random stuff. And at one point, I remember Giovanni said, yeah, this young guy, he has like root access or maybe root access. Or there was like super big excitement. I, I don't know if yeah. you remember or if you actually had root yeah. access or what, what happened there, yeah. but that's my first memory yeah, of that you. Was, that's great. You should tell a story, Jan. Yeah, that was uh, the first DB Tech year. Um, so School of Root, I guess after they dominated with this red button, they decided to uh, host. Um, and I actually, I showed up for the qualifier. I think we've, we've relayed this story where my uh, by, by longtime friend that kind of got me into cybersecurity and everything, uh, invited me to participate with Shellfish in the lab. Um, he was uh, doing his master's there, right, um, at UCSB. So I drove from Phoenix uh, to uh, participate in DEF CON quals. And we did, we did great in DEF CON quals. That's where I met Adam. Uh, subject yeah, we, many, we uh, literally worked on a CTF challenge. I also didn't know who he was. I was yeah. a master's student in the lab. I didn't know who he was. We ended up reversing a VM together and then didn't think about him ever again until we started our PhDs. And it took a year or two before we were like, hey, were you that guy that we were working with? It was crazy. Yeah, exactly. And and that was that was a you know 500 point binary challenge. And it was like reverse this VM. Um, which is another, you know, talking about CTFs getting harder and harder. I mean, reversing VMs is what I'm making my, uh, you know, undergrad uh, students do like five weeks into a cybersecurity course. And then, yeah. I know, crazy. Yeah. By the way, um, do you guys remember the first time that DD Tech organized DEFCON, the shenanigan that yeah. they pulled? Yeah, they were, they were school of root on the... So uh, anyway, so, so this was that time, right? Um, so I got invited to to uh, finals. I show up and and, and uh, me and my friend, we were hacking on something. And then I realized at one point, wait a second. The way that it's set up is everyone... Um, every challenge has a uh, user ID associated with it. That it's... But it's all set UID because it starts up to open a low port. All of the ports are like, you know, 
66 and whatever, right? Or 666 and, and, and very clever things, but they're all below 1024. So everything is set UID, it starts up, then it drops its privileges, and then it has the, the uh, fork accept loop. But the way that they've set up the file system permissions is the it, it, they're all in slash home, slash challenge name, slash challenge. And they're all owned by the... Um, they're all owned by root, but the directory is owned by challenge names, the challenges home directory. And so as you are running with the drop privileges that are dropped to challenge name, you can actually move the file because all that requires is right access to the directory, copy it back in because that all that requires is right access to the directory. And now the said UID bit is gone. No, sorry. No, sorry. So yes. you took root away from you. Yes. That was very successful. Sure. <laughs> they weren't said UID. That's right. They were meant for you to start as root. So, so yeah. So you just uh, move it out of the way, copy it back in. Then you kill the parent process because it's running as your effective ID. Your, uh, uh, that, that effective ID. You kill the parent process. And then when they restart it, they don't know that you've... Uh, or, and, and you patch out the, the drop privileges flag, of course. Or the drop religious code. Is this the thing that you did the yes. last day? Yeah, exactly. Yes, I remember Giovanni running around yes. and asking yes. the other teams, "Can you restart your service?" Because some teams were not playing anymore. You know, the last day you give up if you're not in the top four. And and I remember he was going to other table and say, "Oh, come on, guys, can you restart your services?" Because they had to restart the service, otherwise the trick will That's not right. work. That's right. And some teams had the, uh, scripts that'll do it. And those scripts just blindly restart as root. They don't know that you moved it out of the way, copied back in to now we, we owned it uh, because you copied it back in. It was no longer root owned. We patched out the drop exactly. religious flag. That was nice. Religious... Talking about going around bitching to other people, since I was uh, uh, at that time when DDTAC organized the first time, I was you know the captain, so I had to go and complain. And so School of Root became DDTAC, or at least a subset, and is organizing the CTF. But they didn't tell anybody that there were School of Root. So School of Root was also playing as a team just to fuck with everybody's mind and just for the sake. And we were always kind of in a rivalry with School of Root. So when something wouldn't work, I would go to DD Tech and say, look, but School of Root, I think they're doing a DDoS. And I'm sure they were like, Yes, yes, Giovanni. Yeah, yeah. School of Root is doing so many bad things to you, and they were. And at the end, we are at the at the cer final ceremony where they are uh, presenting, and they're like, and now the organizer of the city. And I see Chris Eagle and all the School of Root going up, and we. I swear to God, that was the most flabbergasting moment. I was like, what the fuck just happened? I was like. What? 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 That was that was masterful, masterfully pulled by School of Root, I must say. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I never knew them as fellow players. I just I always uh, knew them as organizers. That was my first DevCon. Rooting a bunch of uh, those teams. Yeah. When was that? Uh, two thousand eight or two thousand nine? Nine or yeah, something like that. You know, there is there is actually no good history of CTF website. I think even the DEF CON CTF, it, it stops at a certain point. And it would be nice to have, you know, you guys should pull the people that did the very first DEF CON, uh, you know, even pre-Gato Lagoons. Hackers. 
right? Uh, Lagoon. Yeah, the one that wait, there was a physical machine, and you have to just break into that machine. Whoever break first captures the flag. That one flag <laughs> on that machine. Uh, I would love to hear about some someone who organized that stuff. It's gonna be hard to track them down because they're gonna be like seventy. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great uh, idea. We definitely want to dig into more of the history of all the different organizers and hear their stories. Uh, and speaking of, you know, finals and all that, so Shellfish won finals one year. So can you tell us about that since I think y'all were involved in there? Yeah, I think that we did good. <laughs> so you don't remember so it at all. Ago, I don't quite remember. No, no, I remember, I remember that uh, it was... It was us and School of Roots super close to each other the whole time. In fact, I was almost sure that uh, we we had lost at that point. But uh, as always happened at DEF CON, I think the last day, they didn't show the, mm -hmm. the thing, the scoreboard. The, the, the scoreboard. scoreboard. So we didn't know about it. Um, but I, I remember it was super close, like super close. Super close. Yeah, I think we won by... Uh... Less than five points or something like this. Uh, yeah, yeah. And but but I think the year before we lost by less than five points. So it was like, I think it was wow. like two years, like you know, in a row. In one one year we lost by very little, and one year we won by very little. It was definitely smaller. Sorry, God, I was just saying it was smaller, right? Because there were only eight teams um, in yeah. the in the room, right? And it was also not like such a central thing like now if you go in i mean it is really you know the ctf space with all you know the music and the action i don't know it's very sort of a central piece i'm i don't, I don't think we were there it almost felt like you were relegated to some back room where you know eight teams are playing some stuff and okay people swing by i remember, I remember that yeah i mean it was like a dedicated room i don't remember where was it but but it was like already very loud louder than now and uh yeah, with uh, inappropriate videos and, you know, a lot of... The inappropriate video, thank God, has changed because that was, that was in, many, in many situations, not okay. But it was, I think it was at Alexis Park. And I, the, the, the question I have for you guys, uh, Davide and Chris, do you remember, was that the year that they had the Ronins? You remember the Ronins? So there oh, was a yeah, year, the it, there was a year in which you could participate as a yeah. team or you could participate as a Ronin. And the Ronin could actually, it was a single player and could actually sort of trade flag or favors with the teams. And so there was this one dude that uh, his, his trick was PSAWX on a cron job and was do PSWX because there were moments when the flag would appear in the invocation command. And so this dude was hacking the shit out of everybody with a cron job with PSAWX. And he came to us and say, so do you want some flags or something like that? And I don't remember how we convinced him to give a bunch of flags to us. And then we give a bunch of flags to him so we could go up. It was it was it was lawless. <laughs> it was very weird. Yeah, I can't remember. I remember the running thing. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I don't remember if it was the year that we wanted the year after. Yeah, me, me too. I I, 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 I can probably you know I was trying to, to find it, but yeah, yeah, I remember it was a 
it was a bit wild. I remember these people that were asking you, like, either you give me some flags or I go to the other team and I give all my flags to that team. <laughs> I was like, damn it, I, that's blackmailing. That's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was brutal. It was not okay. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's crazy to think about how things have changed since then, right? I mean, that would, it's almost, uh, yeah, I think it's gotten more organized, right? And more closer to like a sports style competition where people, you know, want to take this thing seriously and they don't want some kind of like... Yeah, there were no rules. Want. Yeah, exactly. That's... At the time, there were no rules. I mean, they still had this uh, can of Coke or whatever that, you know, you had to go there and show to show that you're the captain. And if someone steals that from you, I mean, that you're out, basically. <laughs> I mean, so you need physical security to try to hide the token. And if someone opened the can, it, you're out, which is absolutely absurd. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we had these layers and layers of tape, you know, around it. You remember, Joe, like to prevent that by mistake someone. Did. It goes and opens yeah, just, it. It's thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this also, was not I remember, Chris, you remember the night challenges that we did at the end of, uh, I think it was Ken Shadow that was introducing those. Yeah, I remember we had to find like the longest um, executable sequence of code in, in the, all the works of Shakespeare. And again, I guess this would probably take like people five minutes, but I remember like that was this, this, this project, right? Where I was working on a disassembler, like in 2004, wrote my own disassembler. So I was actually reusing that code to disassemble, you know, the, 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 the works of Shakespeare. And I, I think the only complexity was that you could have chumps, right? And you had to sort of follow mm. the chumps. It was sort of fairly easy mm. because you just started every letter and sort of forward execute and see when it sort of has an instruction that would crash. And yeah, that's that. That was the the whole night spent on on this challenge. Yeah, but we remember we had to put the code starting at address zero, you know, and it was very difficult at the time to have an emulator where you can actually take a chunk of code. It, there was no you know uh, uh, little Python library unicorn style whatever to execute random pieces of code. We actually had to have the emulator put the thing in memory at address zero and there were all these memory problems. It was crazy. I think that's why we switched to our own disassembler because then we had control over it, right? We could sort of say, okay, we start at zero. Yes, it was. Of course, everything was written in C and there were all these these, these issues, like, you know, everything, <laughs> everything was difficult. <laughs> you had to walk to school uphill both ways, right? While it was raining. While exactly. Was raining. That's awesome. Cool. So then... then I'm kind of curious. So you're approaching roughly the 20 year birthday of shellfish, right? Is that correct of the team name? So how do you sustain a CTF team over two decades? Just keep playing together. I, guess. <laughs> I, I think, I don't know. Uh, I think that um, it's, I think the fact that our team is not a hardcore team uh, actually helped. The fact that uh, we're, we're not an exclusively CTF team. So Shellfish has done a lot of things from, you know, it's it's loosely based around, you know, UCSB. Now a lot of stuff is happening at AASU. Um, and, but there is a sense of community that goes beyond playing CTF, I, I hope, I think. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, some years we have a good CTF team, some years we have a, you know, not as good CTF team because people do other things. In general, I think Chris and I push this idea in our lab 
that Plain CTF is a hobby. It's not a job. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that you do like you would play soccer or run, but we don't want that to get in the way of our students' main focus, which should be computer security research. So, uh, and I know that you know some of some of the listener may sneer at this, but I think for us is the right approach. And so, Shellfish is also a community of research. It's not just you know capture the flag. And I think that. That helps. I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you, you can take a bit more credit here. I think the the massive passion to just do it, is, I think, comes, I don't know, to, to a large part or has come to a large part from you. I mean, like every every time, like, you know, the quals would come up or, or, or the actual competition, I mean, you just need sort of a leader that says, we cannot do it now, why don't we do it? Come on, guys, let's do it. And I think um, that 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 massive passion and, and just really, I mean, you you I think enjoy it um, more than I do, right? And I think that is just like this 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 deep burning desire to make it happen. I think that that is one part. I think the other part is this inclusion because you know we we had I think um, a varying cast of people and very big teams. I mean, especially I don't know in the last few years where there were just many many people that would maybe be really great at CTFs or maybe don't know much about security, but they were all invited into the suite, so to speak, and were, were hanging out there in the hotel room. And I think that, you know, when, when you cast a wider net and you just, you know, get, get people that are really excited, that are really good, maybe they just stay for a year or two or three, others stay longer, like, you know, you guys then do your own thing. So I think that's a testament of how much you care about it. Yeah, inclusion is something that we really uh, try to uh, achieve. In, in you know, now people talk about diversity and other, but in general, you know, having people not feel the barrier that uh, oh my god, you know, I have to pass this hurdle in order to participate. Usually, we want to you know, if people have a connection, they want to put good work in. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to become part of uh, of this team. I mean, I don't know how it's with other teams. I mean, again, I don't have maybe enough insights, but I can see, like, if you have, let's say, an esports team, right? You sort of have to earn the right to participate, right? And I can see that these teams are, you know, making it hard because everybody's, like, elite and spends all this time on it. And so in order to join it, you sort of have to really show your dedication. I think the bar to enter uh, with Shellfish is much lower, right? It's like, yeah, you, you, you want to play, you're excited about it. Well, then, come and join, right? You don't have to necessarily prove yourself through many, many steps before you can finally join some inner rank sanctum where, you know, great stuff is happening. And so, you know, I think that helps because it, you know, just allows people that might not have actually started then get hooked and, and actually participate. So, And I would say I would add mm -hmm. one thing is keeping the mm -hmm. connections after people move away. I mean, you know. Adam, Jan, Fish, Davide, uh, Alex Capravelos, you know, we're still all in contact with each other, still wanting to enthusiastically, some, sometimes chaotically, wanting to do stuff together. So I think that that spirit, having fun together and, you know, being a group of people that you like to hang out with is a fundamental piece of, of, of that equation. Do you think it helps um, that Shellfish is so... Um highly academic in terms of 
keeping connections? Yeah, I think so. I think I think that there is an overlay. You know, if you look at the Isaac Lab and and Shellfish, there is a lot of you know uh, connection there. Um, I, 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 yeah, because as I was saying, you know, it's not just CTF. The fact that you know we're actually all passionate about computer security research, then creates a link where we see each other. For example, well, not during COVID, but at conferences, and we can hang out at conferences. So you keep that. That bond. If we were in the industry, for example, if I were at you know company one, you were company two, you were company three, the chances that we would get together would be only maybe DEFCON, and so keeping a, a team that goes on and has connection would be much harder. Well, I mean, it also helps, of course, if you sort of find other flag bearers. I mean, you know. You, Jan, you were just equally excited, I think, as Giovanni and so on. Maybe too much. I don't. I don't know if he. I don't know if Jan ever thought of CTF as a hobby, as you phrased it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. It's it's a calling, but you know, I, I think you know, I think you were carrying the team definitely for 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 a while, and so I think this shows where the barrier to enter becomes important because you know, maybe in a professional team you would not have been invited to play with uh, with us in two thousand eight because nobody knows you, right? It's like who is this guy? Why is he even in the same room with us? Prove yourself, but no, okay, you could come. Of course, you were very good. You were super passionate. You were excited, and now then you were carrying the flag for a while, right? And so if if you allow for for that kind of influx of folks who care about and they just want to be there because they deeply cared and you get that next generation and you know then can continue so how do you think the hack meetings then kind of fit into all of this because that was actually my you know my first introduction to shellfish was through giovanni's uh, undergrad course that he taught where he invited me and a few others to join the weekly hack meetings and the funny thing was i didn't you know Shellfish is such a thing now. We have shirts and all that stuff. But like at the time, I didn't know there was a team called Shellfish. Like I think I only realized that the first time playing Defcon Qualls with everyone and seeing like that was the the name that we logged in as. Like it wasn't a a big thing. So you know, uh, the, know. The, the funny thing about that is that the hack meetings have continued, but I stopped. You know, even though I give my patronage, uh, I would say. <laughs> paying for pizzas and things like that. I don't have the time to do those anymore, even though they were super fun. Um, and, but I, we had some amazing kids leading them. And, you know, uh, Paul Grossen did, in, and Paul Grossen, a high school kid, came to UCSB to lead these amazing meetings uh, where people were hacking. And he was teaching, teaching grad students how to do kernel hacking kernel exploits i mean paul we miss you come back <laughs> <laughs> and and um, and colin uh, also did an amazing job uh, with those so there were always uh, uh, people that were excited about it and they were like hey let's do it let's get together and and that's the beauty to me of the university in general as an environment it, it's a you know it's a sliding window where the time moves but the people involved, apart from the professor, they keep aging. The people involved stay more or less the same age, between you know, 19 for the undergrads to 29. You know, it's the, those 10 years, and in those 10 years, you have so much energy, so much time to do stuff. You don't have, you know, mortgages and kids and dogs. Well, sometimes dogs, yes, but uh, you know, 
that's the amazing thing. You have this sliding window of super energetic people that allow you to do that. That's why, for example, having a CTF team in a work normal work environment would be extremely hard. I mean, I see now I, both Chris and I have, you know, are in the industry working at VMware, and 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 these environments are, you know, much more serious, stable with more grown-ups, you know, and of course everybody is, you know enthusiastic about their job, but it's a different energy than the unbridled enthusiasm of, you know, uh, an undergrad. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, thinking about how we used to prep for DEF CON, uh, be like, okay, everyone, here's a list of operating systems. Everyone go and make sure you have like a VMware image of all of these operating systems. <laughs> and yeah, doing that kind of stuff, I think, uh, really makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think, you know, I've, both Jan and I have also worked in industry and the thought of like spending your weekend doing company related things <laughs> seems crazy. Like they're not paying me for this. Why would I, why would I uh, do that? So. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting uh, note about the, those hack meetings is because it's not just almost uh, recently. I think the trend has been, younger and younger people leading the hack meetings, which maybe speaks to the amount of, of training material and so forth. Because it was, um, I guess, you initially, Giovanni, right? And then by the time I arrived, uh, Ludo was leading the, mm -hmm. the hack meetings. Um, and before so, that was oh, Nick when I started. So Nick was oh, yeah, kind yeah. of pushing it. And Nick, then we so were then all... it was PhD students, mm -hmm. then me. And then uh, it was Audrey undergrad and then um colin undergrad and then paul high schooler <laughs> if yeah, i come there and there's toddlers teaching your hack meeting i'm gonna be a little bit worried <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot of these kids uh, this is a uh, vm no, I, 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 i'm really proud because my son got kicked out from a minecraft server because he hacked it so i was like it's happening it's happening Nice. Minecraft's actually. Uh, if I Minecraft found some uh, some weird combination of commands on the command line that would take control of other people characters and the dad of another kid in his school that set up the server say sorry Leo but you cannot be in this <laughs> server anymore. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Minecraft's been a, a good gateway drug for a lot of people, also into reverse engineering, um, and and, yeah. and I mean a lot of our incoming students grew up on that interestingly mm -hmm. yeah and specifically like hacking it like uh yeah i know well i know somebody on shellfish who got into security through creating bots like auto auto attack bots on uh, minecraft and then of course other people would make ways around that like it, you you could come at them from the top and they wouldn't hit up and so then he had to mod the bot to hit up and do all this stuff so uh yeah yeah it's super i mean that's a really interesting. I think I think Audrey was a huge Minecraft hacker, right? She did a lot of uh, console. Audrey or Paul? Of, uh, um, I don't know. Oh, about Minecraft know. specifically. I remember somebody telling me, you know, I've done a lot of I've, I've done a lot of that stuff. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a, it's an interesting uh, new vector into security because I, I guess you know when we were growing up, there there wasn't. I mean, maybe online games. And, oh, for and me, it was hacking. Diablo 2. Like, or D yeah, the original Diablo was the first time I used tools to uh, 
simple tools to like you know freeze your health so you could you'd uh it would scan the memory and then you would get hit and then you'd see what things change and then you could freeze certain memory points so you could you know freeze your hit points at a certain level uh, that was kind of uh, wow, nice. yeah i remember that was actually tom tom's first entry was also computer games he was always like you know basically having you know we had a commodore 64 at that point right so you can imagine how old this is and you could basically buy some hardware dongle that you could put in and it would sort of take control of the um of the memory and the buses and you could say okay you know find where my points my health are and then you could just edit it right on, on the fly and of course the games were not protected right nobody was doing anything like that and it was like you just put this in and you know unlimited whatever money or, or, or health and stuff I like I that still, i have a, a game game shark for the uh nintendo 64 that does this for that 64 it's just yes exactly like, stuff like that uh, the game mm-hmm. the console and the game yeah and exactly and that's what the codes if anyone remembers yeah. doing those things a game genie was the other one i i remember and yeah the codes you would put in you didn't realize it as a time you're just a kid thinking you're putting in this insane hex cheat code but it's doing exactly what you're saying chris that like okay this like fit either fix this memory value or don't let it change or do all this kind of stuff so yeah it's really interesting to, those to things think get through. absurdly complicated in college i put in I think it took me and my roommate hours to put in this code that uh, modded uh, Smash Brothers on the GameCube to have network support. Can you imagine modding in a network stack using what? one of those uh, cheat codes? It's insane. That's nuts. My only my only relationship with games, I remember the Tetris for MS DOS was the where I touched my first virus. It was the the first virus I developed that was able actually to infect other things, and I would give it to my friends. Hey, play Tetris. Here it is. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was. It wasn't really bad, but you know, it was prevent the system from. <laughs> that seems pretty bad. What are you talking about? It just turned their... No, no. It would, it would create. It would create a. Uh, it would. It would play with the file system and create a recursive directory, and when the MS DOS boots, it start traversing the whole file system to speed up something and so it would get stuck in this thing but then it would be really easy you put in safe mode and you remove the directory in your file yeah i'm sure you know that's uh <laughs> that's that's what everybody i would tell my friends i never spread it to the world i just yeah that's what rtm claims too exactly yeah exactly <laughs> cool okay. i try um yeah, but I give you another another uh, trivia, another yes, history please. bit of, of shellfish. Yeah, do you please. do you guys know that um, the, there was a good chance that you might have had a hex on the beach T-shirt instead of a shellfish T-shirt because it was not always shellfish, right? There was a, a naming competition, not really a competition, right? But there were two uh, two possible names. One was shellfish, the other one was hex on the beach. So who came up with who came up with which? Will Robertson came up with hex on the beach. And and I came up with shellfish, and you know, and then hex on the beach became the tagline. For <laughs> I was gonna say I've definitely seen that wearing? somewhere. Do they have hex on the beach in the back? Because some of them do. No, that one's blank. <laughs> oh no, that's blank. Sorry. <laughs> that was... Most of, most of the ones I have 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 the big head with hex yeah. on the beach under. Any other uh, shellfish trivia or interesting historical facts that you don't want to get lost to the ether? Ah, 
Actually, I was checking now the web page, the first web page of Shellfish, uh, Shellfish X on the Beach. So that was the title of the of the yeah, that was the title. Yeah, yeah, that that was one uh, one interesting one. Uh, let's see, interesting trivia. Hmm. Uh, I think we we had one of the most harassed member of the team, our uh, Rusvika. We had we had probably in the first two or three competition the only girl on the team and it was this super sweet uh, Russian girl uh, who got his PhD at UC, her PhD at UCSB and you know became a security professional but of course you know in this super male dominated environment everybody was like oh my god this girl is playing CTF and there were like a continuous stream of people they were, you know, I think me and Davi, they were just like, get the uh, people, oh. weirdos. I still remember the guy that was screaming that, uh, you know, I'm Jesus. And, you know, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, at the time there were a lot of people that were just, you know, coming clo very close to the table and just, you know, asking weird questions. Yeah. Yeah. So this actually ties into a fun fact about the Sec Lab for anybody that's there right now and has found a dog toy and doesn't know where it came from. It came from Vika's dog, who hated me. I had a desk right next to Vika, and every time I'd go to my desk, the dog would growl at me. And it's like the best... Dasha. Dasha, that's right. Yeah, the best, most well-trained dog I've ever met. I mean, Vika had that dog very well trained and then giovanni of course bribed the dog with treats had dog treats in his desk and that's why the dog loved giovanni <laughs> vika graduated the day and also I the arrived. dog was a shepherd dog oh really so yeah. we never actually uh, overlapped like she she was gone like right then it was really interesting you could have spoken russian yeah. together yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was super interesting that like the, the, the one russian left another russian arrived yeah i think this um diversity in, in CTF is an interesting, you know, point, obviously, it's very low. Um, but, you know, I think that that's an excellent example of, of how hard it is to bootstrap diversity, right? So you have a female player, one of the first in CTF, I mean, there are the, I've been CTF uh, players that are female, but I mean, it's always a bit of a clusterfuck like that. Like, uh, <clears throat> later on, we had Jane, right? And, and we had the same sort of situation occur. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, historically, I unfortunately, the, the, the hacker community and the DEFCON community initially was pretty, pretty uh, homophobic and misogynist. Uh, and things have changed in, in, an, in a very, very, very big way. So I'm really, you know, happy to see that change. But it wasn't easy, and, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why uh, female participation was so minimal is because the culture was like, you know, uh, I, I mean, Vika was like a tough cookie. She was like uh, a classic Russian, like, I don't care, you know. And she would walk, and there was like this terrible thing. And I remember going with another female student later at DEF CON. I don't know if you remember, Chris. But uh, this female student of ours went into it and they were like, they were like really uh, projecting inappropriate images. And she was like, she was like shaken. She was like, oh my God, I just walked in the room and there was all this, you know, sexual stuff goes on. It's like, I'm, it's, like it's, it's terrible. I mean, you have, you yeah. know, little control over that. 
and and this has has uh, hurt and hurt the community at times. Oh, but but things are changes, and that the direction where we're going is is a good direction. We're not there yet fully, but we're moving in that direction. That's a good signal. Great. Yeah, I think that's a uplifting uh, thought that hopefully, you know, in the future, people can be more aware of those kinds of things. I know, uh, speaking as the current DEF CON organizers, Jan and I are try to be extra cog, uh, try to recognize those things in advance and try to. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, I think a good example is uh, the some of this distracting video, uh, unless, you know, a typo in a script causes wrong stuff to be played but um in the distractions we traditionally that was like more xenophobic than anything so that was great <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> at least it's a different um in... that, that was okay yeah we accident so to uh, you know we we uh can't we come up with like lists of videos and whatever and there was a typo in a script where it would either grab the recommended videos too or something like that so extra videos that we didn't include were on our playlist. So, so it took a playlist. YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah so exactly. And it yeah. just started playing uh, World War II propaganda videos against the Japanese. And after like 10 minutes, you know, we're trying to set stuff up and we're like, what is this video? Who put it on? And so we had oh, to go apologize. We, you know, tried to apologize to our, our friends. Yeah, uh, I, you know, because the, the, the team from Japan was seated right under the projector. Basically, so just playing right. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I. I that was very embarrassing. And that but, that same yeah. CTF, we you know asked the hotel to cover up one of the pictures that they had up. It was like That's a true. highly sexualized and suggestive uh, picture that was up right behind us, and we're like, yeah, we want we're trying to break from that previous tradition of not uh, having that kind of stuff. And if it's just here on the wall behind us, that's sending a very mixed message. So, yeah, the hotel was very good, and they covered that up. Uh, but, but in the distractions, I, I mean, I'm sure everyone remembers uh, the, the um, music video to the techno song, Satisfaction, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, still, I still sometimes have it in my head. Yeah, and because and, and it also played nonstop, right? And it was uh, non very non-inclusive, let's say. Um, the interesting thing... I tell you, to the point that I was at ACMCCS and I saw a little avatar of Ben Nassi. And immediately it's like Benny Benassi. <laughs> no! Yeah, at that level. But 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 small, uh, little known fact is that that music video wasn't the original music video to that song. The original one is actually very uh, calm and 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 kind of like, um, I mean, not inappropriate, right? Uh, oh yeah. yeah. So when when we took over hosting, uh, I actually dug up the original music video. And we played that. And so, of course, the song starts, and then everyone's like... <laughs> but then the, the video was was uh, normal. Uh, yeah, it was, it's... I thought you yeah, censored yeah. it. No, this was yeah, the original, exactly. actually. Yeah, yeah, this was the original. I actually looked up, you know, historically speaking. Yeah, it was... It was uh, I like the version yeah. with men doing the work. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is a funny one. Women. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Uh, cool, so... I think we're kind of getting to the end. Anyone have any other topics they want to discuss? Or... Actually, I had one, one, yes, one question. Please. I was hoping to ask Will this, but um, I guess... We can also have Will on a separate separate podcast. That's right. But uh, just uh, I heard in an interview about the victory in 2005, um, or 2000, 2005, right? Yeah. Um, that 
one uh, shellfish exploited 13 different buffer overflows. Was that like rooted in fact or is it like legend? I always assume that's Will. I, I have no idea. Right. Sure. <laughs> I mean, no, me. no, it could no. be true. But yeah, exactly. Not, not me either. But we, I don't we remember what I ate last night. If you tell me in interview in 2005. Yeah, exactly how many buffer overflows did you exploit in DEF CON 15? Likely Will Robertson. You know, I, 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 I get you. You know, Will is not here, unfortunately, but I still remember he took my grad class and I thought he was the most bored student in my class it was i was it was always like this only now i know he's his normal <laughs> stoic face this i am a samurai this is my happy face sad face yeah. interested face bored face so I, I thought oh this guy hates me you know he doesn't like this game uh, i did this class and then we were doing the capture the flag and i remember hovering over his shoulder and I was like, what are you doing? You know, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm modifying this shell code so that I can open the file and this. And, and he was writing binary code by hand. And I was like, do you want to do your PhD uh, and come over and be a grad student? And it was like, okay. <laughs> and, and, and that was, and I want to end with this saying, CTFs are a great way to scout for talent, okay? Yeah. Because there are so many people that you would never notice that are amazing, amazing uh, developers, programmers, exploiters that could do a great deal of good research that would never get in the radar if it weren't for CTS. Great, yeah, that's I think what's that's been, and I, you know, I think part of that is it requires a lot of, even going back to what you originally uh, talked about of learning on self-learning, right? And and being able to kind of dive into things, figure out how they work, uh, learn how systems work, and a lot of that on your own. So yeah, it's great. That, and I think it, one of the beautiful things about CTS is it gives those people that opportunity in a very kind of fair and balanced way of like, yeah, you can't, you can't fake, you know, getting a flag, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true, right? It's like self, you know, you have to learn yourself, you have technical abilities, but you have tenacity, mm -hmm. you have passion for something, it, it, it tests all the right things. So I, I think it's excellent. Yeah. And, and I can definitely see Will hacking 13 buffer overflows or whatever, because I think he was one of our star players or, or definitely, you know, very, very good. From, from an early age. And so was Davide. Davide, I remember some of your mega exploits many, many times. Not ago. anymore so much, but uh, no. <laughs> oh, but seeing from his mega challenges, you can kind of see the, the yeah. mirror, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I remember, right, we often played in teams and it was always a, a pleasure to sit next to Will because you just sort of could use him as, a, as an IDE where you say, hey, can we do this? And he would just, just type it in and sort of, you know, implement whatever fuzzy ideas you had real time um, on, on the screen. It was, um, it's great. Yeah, that, that, awesome. that is a, an interesting part, actually, of uh, being a professor in CTF. And, like, you know, your students uh, want to play, and then they, they, they sit with you, but then, you know, you, you want them to get something. So you, ended up, you end up being, like, the kind of, um, what if we do this spectator, what conceptual. Is 
part of the yeah i think that's giving yourself too much credit you are probably <laughs> distracting them but for yourself it's very <laughs> awesome right because it's like it's a hassle to do all the details anymore so you just tell them what to do and it happens for you live it's very it's very nice it's maybe not so nice for the students the most, but, i agree with chris i mean for me it was with yannick frat antonio you know right? next to him he would write python code it, it was like that, you know, those like accelerated videos when you see the lines of Python <laughs> appearing. It would be like, it's like, oh, oh yeah, I've done that. Okay, can we try uh, done that? And I was like, okay, I just want to be here and give high level direction. Yeah, exactly. You just give high level direction, and you feel like you're <laughs> participating because you give these high level directions, and you know these guys says, hey, can you can you finally go somewhere else? <laughs> now, <laughs> now I'm rethinking all of my Qual's experience. I distinctly remember I tell the story in my class of a Qual's challenge that Chris Krugel and I worked on. It was, uh, I don't know if you remember, it was an Android application that uh, did, uh, it was like a free application that did uh, encryption of pictures, and it just did like a XOR, basically, encryption. And yeah, now that I'm looking back, it was mainly Chris giving suggestions of what I should do and implement. So. Should do and implement. Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. <laughs> suggestions are very important, though. Don't... Important, though. It's exactly. a very important role. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I probably switched to security also because of Will. I mean, when I got to the lab the first time, I mean, working in software engineering and then you see Will and Frederick like this, you know, working on the computer is like, oh my God, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't even know how to use a computer. I mean, I at the time I switched from Emacs to VI because I saw Will typing and it's like, oh, you can do that? I mean, I mean for me it was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's eye-opening how some of these folks use the computer and sort of like the tools. And, and to this day, whenever I interact with Will, say, okay, show me what you do right now. Oh, I use Sublime Text. Okay, uh, what else? What do you use for this? Oh, I use... The... He has always the latest shit. Will Robertson, you know, just talk to him. It's a pain to work with him because, of course, he has the bleeding edge of everything. Sometimes I have... I have LaTeX package that are missing, and then I go get them. It's like by Will Robertson. And I'm like, what? You know, are you serious? Oh, great. All right. Now that we've pumped up uh, Will's legend a bit, we're definitely going to have to have him on to talk to him. <laughs> you have to have him. Yes, have him on. Have him on. Watch, watch him. Uh, I mean, watch let's see if you can get his super excited face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this... There's a lot of amazing uh, personalities that have kind of gone through uh shellfish uh and and i guess gotta start through shellfish right i mean i i think uh, we talk about a lot neither adam or i would be in in security or or in academia if it wasn't for uh really shellfish and and, and getting pulled into the, the research lab as well <clears throat> whichever you know uh order that happens. whichever emphasis order, everybody right? chooses yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly Jan, we, we, we took you out from, I think, Wells yeah. Fargo, but, you know, we, with Adam, we got him for a moment, and then he went to Microsoft, and then we were able to bring them in into the fall. So He thought he was out, but he just pulled him right <laughs> I know. back in. Exactly. And actually, one of the painful things of doing that was trying to work on uh, challenges remotely while, you're, while I was at a company. I remember working on some of the Qualls challenges while I was at Microsoft on a weekend, and I was like, God, this is so... Born, not being around everyone, right? Like, you know, you miss your uh, shellfish family. So, so I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, that's an interesting note actually to explore if you guys have some more time. Um, 
<laughs> well, maybe starting with Davide, who might not have. <laughs> Davide's like, like uh, I have kids. Yeah, uh, Davide, you were, I guess, Chris and Davide, you guys were some of the first people to kind of uh, leave Santa Barbara on Shellfish, right? Chris, obviously, you came back, but Davide, how was, I mean, how's that experience? I mean, obviously, I know that experience, and Adam knows that experience. We've, we've, we did it, but we did it later. Yeah, I think I think the first time I went there, Chris was not there because he went back already. And then he came back after for a postdoc, and I wasn't there. And then I came back after he went back. So I think we overlapped very little, I think, in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the experience is, uh, I mean, obviously I was sad to leave Santa Barbara, right? So I, I didn't want, actually I was planning to stay a bit longer, but then I was trying to apply for positions in Europe, and it was completely crazy, like you had to actually you know, bring all your publication printed in person to the office that, you know, uh, they were asking me like, oh, we let you know, like maybe four or five days before the interview when you can, you know, show up and say, no, I'm in California. I can't do that. And so there, there was, a, you know, Angin at the time that was building a group in Europe. So I thought, OK, I would go to Europe and uh, uh, and apply for position from there. Basically, that was the main reason. Um but uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously UCSB was a fantastic place. I mean, the the environment that you know in the lab uh, was, I think, no one wanted to leave. Frankly, I mean, it's, it was perfect. Of course, it's one of these perfect things that you know that you cannot keep doing forever, right? So it's a postdoc. Postdoc is fantastic. It's the best period, probably research-wise, of your life. Uh, but you know, you know that you have to move on, and uh, and so I moved back to Europe and uh, but yeah we kept in contact and we started an acting group and you know and for a few years I kept playing with shellfish maybe other five six years so I was basically doing the quads remotely and then flying in for DEFCON and uh, yeah then I realized that I wasn't competitive anymore I, I mean but that's not true. So, that's not true, Davide. We will I think there's a big, big amount of imposter syndrome among. I think the... no. I think it was the first, maybe the first year of legit BS or something like this, in which I played my last final there, and uh, I remember that basically maybe three, four services we got to the vulnerability. We start writing the exploit, and then there was always something missing that you couldn't, you know, figure out. And then you had to wait until PPP is basically exploiting you, and then copying from PPP exploited the missing thing that you you know you are still missing and then you have an exploit working and great and then you know you start again from another one and you wait for PPP exploit and then you finish your own and then I thought that you know, that's depressing and you know and... I'll tell you uh, I had a recent experience in which I took uh, like a training class uh, as part of my new job at VMware and at the end there was a capture the flag and I had to play just by myself and and it was great, you know, and I, I did, you know, pretty well. It was a malware analysis, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't exploitation as much, but it was more malware analysis. But I got second place right, you know, below the guy who actually is in the incident response team and is a reverser. But you're still playing CTFs. I mean, you're still one of the oldest in the sense that you've been, oh, come on, you were in the room at, sitting at the table and you had fun playing some challenges. So you're still playing. Yeah. I think you and Chris Siegel are probably the long. Uh, I think I'm drifting into spectator mode more than <laughs> with anything else. But, well, yes. Yeah. Does anyone call you the Godfather of CTF, Giovanni? That would be a good, good nickname. Me, the Godfather, the Godfather of CTF. Godfather. 
given the I Italian. Uh, it's too. I, I it's too obvious, Jan. It's too obvious. Yeah. Cool. Anybody? Anybody have anything uh, they want to plug before we say goodbye? Is, uh, for instance, is let's say VMware hiring, and then people could uh, contact you for jobs or for PhDs or anything like that. Yeah, okay. I, I would say exactly. Yes. <laughs> I think David has described our lab very well. You know, if you want to have a great research experience or some life-altering experience, uh, and if you don't want to go to the U.S. or you want to go back to Europe, I mean, then uh, you can. Come and work with me. Where are you okay, at? Kind of more explicitly, there's I always, I always feel like Santa Barbara and Eurocom. It's sort of like and, the uh, second choice, right? So if you don't want to go there, fine. <laughs> no, but we're, we're really looking for great people. They want to be doing both research and CTFs um, uh, as a hobby, <laughs> even though Jan doesn't agree. But uh, we're always looking for great talent. And, and as you guys said, our lab is a reasonably fun place yep. to be. Can confirm. Cool. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today, everyone. And, and we really appreciate everyone making the time to uh, join us for our guests. Thank you for yeah, having us. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I, I'm Adam Dean. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Dupay. He's Zardis. You can find him on Twitter at Zardis. Together, we're CTF Radio. And you can find us online on YouTube or Twitter at CTF Radio OOO. Uh, you can send questions to us through email at ctfradio at gmail.com, and we may end up using your questions on a future episode. So take care, everyone, and happy hacking. Happy, happy hacking. hacking. Hack the planet. <laughs>